Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. A diplomatic mission. As Descent threatens to tear apart the peaceful Mandalore system, Duchess Satine struggles to protect her people against the escalating violence. Betrayed by two of her trusted allies, Satine now travels to Coruscant. There, she hopes to convince the Senate that a destructive splinter group, Death Watch, does not represent the entire Mandalorian government. Death Watch is now mobilizing. Uh, they are continuing to threaten the life uh, of Duchess Satine. Um, this is kind of creating a narrative where, uh, to the Senate, she's, I guess, a liability. And so Palpatine is kind of undermining her political efforts. Um, and so after Satine is attacked one additional time in her cruiser, and there are, in fact, fatalities, she must go into hiding, and then she and Obi-Wan create a new plan. Yeah, so while she's been on Coruscant, she's been trying to kind of fight for the sovereignty of her people to not be occupied by the Republic. She doesn't want their assistance, but because Death Watch is a big concern and everybody knows this, uh, the Republic wants to kind of step in and make Mandalore part of the bigger war and say the Death Watch, because their alignment separatists have made Mandalore part of the war, whether they like it or not. Satine wants her sovereignty, and a friend of hers had sent in a hollow message that was supporting Satine, but we only see a certain percentage of that hollow, and it makes it look like he very much is against Satine, and the hollow is thus kind of faked in that regard. Uh, and so that's really as what put the screws on uh, Satine and why she has to kind of uh, go into the streets of uh, Coruscant to get some key information to really see whether or not uh, what she saw on Hollow was true. Uh, and as she's kind of going through the streets, uh, it, it she is set up for a kind of a framed murder uh, of her contact uh, when a Death Watch assassin comes to try and uh, take uh, take her out. She meets up with with Obi Wan and and he does assist her uh, as she is trying to kind of clear her name. Uh, she turns herself in uh, so that specifically um, the information can then be brought through um, and uh, ultimately revealed to the Senate um, on with Obi Wan's assistance um, so that it can be ultimately cleared that the initial message was not was what it was initially meant to be and that the Republic should stay out of Mandalore uh, and that they don't need their assistance and that their uh, pacifist ways is what the, the people want uh, and they don't want Republic assistance. What I would say as, as this, the third part of this sort of like mini Mandalore origin story slash trilogy from season two of the Clone Wars is that it doesn't feel a whole lot more conclusive than it's, previous two episodes it kind of just feels uh, additionally episodic which is fine but if i don't already have this pre-existing understanding of mandalore or, or mandalorians i guess through the show the mandalorian uh and and know therein that there are heroes among i'm kind of left here thinking that satine aside mandalore is nothing but uh, a planet of villains like everybody seems to be so two-faced and shady it, it like i just don't find that this little trilogy of episodes does very well for the reputation of mandalore uh, i think that's partly because you've only seen the end and now the beginning so you've seen like prime minister almec is not evil at this point we don't necessarily like we know that yes he's shit talk janka fett but janka fett's a bad guy and so from our mindset really it 
Satine is right. Uh, Death Watch is on their own kind of, they're on their own moon. So I wouldn't necessarily say that. I, I think it's because you're seeing the end of the story and the beginning of the story. Uh, this is an, a necessary part of the overall flow uh, for the next time that Mandalore comes up again in the Clone Wars. But I, I hard agree that it is uh, episodic and uh, it's not conclusive, uh, which it, it isn't, but it's also... And not necessarily even the strongest of episodes uh, for the Clone Wars. No, but what it is, is a great friend to somebody who actually enjoys the good aspects of the prequels. And so you get a lot of mm -hmm. elements in here that feel very uh, authentically prequel Star Wars, like the Senate, and, and like a Palpatine who feels very genuinely like the Sheep Palpatine we know. Count Dooku's in here a little bit. Like, it is a good Attack of the Clones uh, sister story. Yeah, I have that actually as the kind of the, my my best moment or my best part of the the episode was the fact that it's uh, it's building upon that like the chase sequence you get at the start of Attack of the Clones. You get a, a similar sort of sequence to that with Satine and the bounty hunter, and they're going through the city. It feels very like born galaxy far far away. Uh, I really I, I like the vibe that they give you with that, but yet it also feels like a bit of an old timey spy movie, and so it's really hitting on a lot of of influential notes. Uh, it doesn't necessarily uh, stand off the page, but it is a good episodic story, and in, in, it doesn't it doesn't kind of ring through as one that you would mark as like oh my favorite episode, but it is one that really, it's an enjoyable watch and it goes really well with the other ones that we previously watched. Well, and th this has now become like a classic romantic context too for the spy thriller or um, the political thriller, which is uh, Sexy Bodyguard. So we have a female, typically female, although sometimes not, um, a person of import, uh, whether it's... Uh, you know, what's her name in the, the bodyguard on Netflix or Whitney Houston, or in this case, uh, Duchess Satine, and the obvious uh, romantic tension with her uh, body man, with the person who is like tasked with looking after her. And then there are entangled all of these romantic and personal feelings that make it all the more complicated when in fact they don't agree politically or when they don't um, get along um, e even rhythmically when they like, that's really uh, prominent in the dynamic between Obi-Wan and Satine. They bicker so much, but that does kind of add to the the coolness of their of their relationship. And all of that to say, this feels to me like a really well-written political thriller, and I think Star Wars does genre specificity really nicely. It does, and I, and I, th I think that was one thing that was good. Like I really enjoyed the fact that it was definitely a political episode, but one thing that I think it maybe lacked a bit of was the fact that it was a very political episode, but it didn't really lean too much into the, to the nasty side. I, there was that one sequence where you see Count Dooku and Palpatine kind of converse and given like Dooku's just giving an update really, but I would have liked to have seen more Palpatine behind the scenes. You see definitely some puppet mastery going on, but I would have liked uh, a little bit more, uh, maybe even just one more scene. Uh, I like the use of Masameda as kind of like his his lap dog uh, in the episode, but it uh, yeah it, the the politics was the highlight. So I would have liked it to maybe get the same um, 
attention the way that the the spy thriller angle as well did. I'm pretty sure it's the first time I've seen Padme in the Clone Wars. Oh man, Padme in the Clone Wars weighs like like knocks the <laughs> knocks the crap out of Padme in the prequels. I wanted uh, to ask you Padme. about that if she is good and if she's more fleshed out and because the voice performance oh, and, was fine, but we don't get a ton of her here. Well, yeah, that's the thing though. For me now, it's it's really like when you watch the prequels, like Natalie Portman, she's struggling to to act in George Lucas's um, kind of blue and green screened world. Uh, and that's that that's rough for sure. Uh, and it, it does come through with a, a pretty wooden performance. But Kat Tabor, who does the performance of the Clone Wars, I have a lot more screen time of, of, of her doing that voice. And also she narrates the audiobooks that are kind of telling uh, it's a trilogy of books. And there's the first two that have come out uh, and in the news, I'm going to mention the third one that's coming out, but they tell kind of key points in Padme's life um, from a very personal perspective. It doesn't like the plot isn't that deep uh, for these books, but they're really quite engaging because of the, the very personal perspective and the relationships that Padme has with her handmaidens. So it's, she's an excellent Padme in terms of really being able to see kind of the, the fearless leader that Leia becomes uh, and kind of that founder of the rebellion and the person who is Bail Organa and Mon Mothma's partner on a lot of things. So it, it really does. It, it works. She's, she kills it. Does that actress uh, voice those books as Padme or just as a narrator and you feel connected to it because she's Padme? Oh, no. You know, she she does an exceptional job, uh, like a lot of there are there's only one um, Star Wars book I've read. And even he did the voices. They were just really bad. It was the author, Daniel Jose Older. Uh, and it was for Last Shot. Um, but every single one they do, like, it's voice acting performances. Uh, and sometimes they'll have multiple people for the cast, but it's usually just somebody who's really given it their all and they'll deepen their voice for a couple different characters. Yeah, no, I, I was just, uh, I was a little confused because you had said that, uh, she narrates these books about Padme and I wasn't sure if that meant she was actually playing Padme in them. Yeah, she plays yeah. Padme, but she's also playing all the other handmaidens. So it's mm. extremely impressive cool. the subtle differences that she'll do while keeping her same voice. And then she also does the Amidala voice as well as the Padme voice, cool. which is intentionally a thing. And they explore why. Uh, like they, they basically say this is a, a voice they created because it was specifically uh, one that Sabe, who was uh, Kira Knightley's character uh, in Padme, uh, could do... Uh, at the same level. It was closer to Sabe's lower register than Padme's, and that's why it was a little bit deeper, but it was one that they could both do exactly the same. And but it she was, was the digitized, most frequent. I think. Yeah, it, exactly. And so yeah. they both spoke in that same stilted dialogue. Right. I will not watch my people suffer. And it just, it, they, it was on purpose, and yeah. it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, yes, that kind of mid Atlantic talk works for Star Wars as well. But Padme and Amidala have two straight-up different voices in The Phantom Menace, uh, and they explain why, and it's got a lot of good reason. I mean, she's got all these decoys for a reason. It makes sense they're going to have to disguise the voice as well. As long as we're talking about Padme, I just wanted to point out one tiny nitpick about Satine in this episode. She pronounces it Padme with the third syllable, which, oh, is, yeah? which is similar to how uh, fans have pointed out uh, Jim Halpert pronounces it Dwight, and... Once you hear that, you can't unhear it. But I, it, oh, it no. stood up quite, quite plainly as 
Padme when Satine said it in this episode. And similarly, I think I forgot to mention this last week, but she occasionally calls Obi-Wan Obi, and I don't yeah. like it, man. It bugs me. <laughs> Obi! <laughs> it just yeah. reminds me of when Jar Jar does it at the start of Attack of the Clones. It just doesn't work as a nickname for Obi-Wan to me. No, but it goes to show that specifically she has a relationship with him that she can get away with doing something like that. Right. Uh, I think that's kind of what you're supposed to view it from. Or also, or the fact that it goes back to maybe at a younger age in which he would have been more comfortable being called that. The opening uh, fortune cookie for this episode is, in war, truth is the first casualty, which I think is something, I mean, we can really relate to now because truth is oh, something yeah. that's that's so imperiled just in our world. Not necessarily through the context of war, but... Um, tumult in general like social social uh, turbulence how does it relate to this particular episode i guess because they're politically manipulating this jarek's message in order to get what they want yeah i mean jarek it's he's kind of it's 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 not a deep fake but it's it's the same kind of notion of what you could fear and the way that people uh, particularly cut media and the way that um if you if you own the information, you can spin it all you want. And so it's just, it, it's an interesting way that they, it, it shows the control the Republic has uh, and the way that it has influence over everything. And then even, even on the streets and how quickly Satine is identified. And it, it's just an episode that really shows a lot of those Republic failings. And I think that's just one of those good examples of it. I think in the in the Bad Batch, uh, when they do fortune cookies at the beginning, they should slip in one John Mayer quote per season. And if you yeah. find it, you get to tour the chocolate factory. Yeah, it was too uh, appropriate to go there. It was what I was going to say. And so I just uh, I just I just bent it just a little bit. <laughs> uh, you can bend it all you want. This uh, oh damn it, Jarek. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you and I played a lot of uh, Star Wars PC games, like yep. even pre um, prequels, maybe or like right around that time. Was there not a villain in like Dark Forces or Jedi Knight named Jarek? There was. Yep, he had uh, uh, kind of the the tattoos coming down from the side of his mouth. That's right. Um, similar to the way Ventress does. Uh, I don't so know if. Uh, in Legends, he was from Dathomir as well. Or, so he's a Legends yeah. character, and they just decided to repurpose his name the way they did, like, Jason Solo, Ben Solo kind of thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, Jason, uh, they reused his name with Jason Sindula. So when Hera had a kid, they used that the same weird spelling of Jason for that. So, yeah, that, that same kind of concept. They've done that with, that, with a handful of names. Um, and even also, there are some names in Star Wars that just are repeated. <laughs> because sure yeah like antilles there are i think four different and three at least three different antilles that are not related in star wars two gins qui-gon jinn and jinn urso different spelling first name and last name but yep sure. absolutely but i mean those are pretty prominent main characters that are both jinn at some point in their name I, yeah. I'm, there's I, another very prominent one that's slipping my mind i um i rarely get to know the the kind of niche legends character and how his name has been repurposed in star wars and so i feel proud of myself for catching on yeah, no, that's that's a good one. That was uh, one of my uh, trivia questions. Not a lot of quick little uh, one-liners in this episode, but a couple of really good longer lines. Yeah, I have two lines down here, and one of them I don't think you would have because it was one that I only... It, it's not a good line, but it's a great line because it's Star Wars. Uh, yeah. But the, I had 
I, I had almost nothing. I thought it was a, like the, the dialogue was good, but there was nothing standout for right. me. Uh, I did love it when Satine said, though, Obi-Wan, I need your help. Mm. Just a little similar words to a help me Obi-Wan Kenobi. But we can use that uh, for the title. That's a really good one. It also is very fitting for the episodes, for sure. Yeah. And my only other quote was Dooku's one at the very, very beginning of the episode. Oh, okay. I assure you, the Republic will oblige you the fight you're looking for. Good. That's nice. Yeah. I thought that was a good quote. I was like, ooh, nice start to the episode. And then I didn't get another one until like, the end. I know we say Everything this, else was okay, though. We say this a lot, but really good uh, vocal performance from that guy who plays Count Dooku. And this guy, Abercrombie, who plays Palpatine. He's been dead almost a decade now, I guess. But... Uh, the, they yeah, have a, they have a good who one. Who is it? I think it's Corey Burton who is Count Dooku. Let's see. Works for me. Uh, earlier on in the episode, Obi-Wan is kind of uh, cajoling Satine. He says, rushing in like this, it's foolhardy. And she comes back. This is more of the same debate they've been having for, having for three episodes now. She says, ironic words from a man who spends days running hither and yon, wielding his lightsaber and deadly force as if, as if, on a crusade, why should I listen to someone who so frequently relies on violence? In my opinion, you're the one who's foolhardy. So she's got these like really long, not soliloquies, but these fairly flowery mini monologues that she does really well with. They're just not catchy. Yeah, they're delivered really well. And I did like the use of foolhardy a lot. I liked it's. it's I like hither and yawn. Yes, hither and yawn, but also another one of those instances where Star Wars gets away with the flowery dialogue and this is and she's a character that can deliver it and it's allowed to and it has that great blend it has since uh uh governor talking right uh, since the very bloody beginning so it makes complete sense uh this is after uh her speeder's been attacked she says to obi-wan i wasn't hurt i didn't want to worry you and he says well i'm afraid on that count you've failed spectacularly which is kind of sweet Oh, I actually, I didn't catch that one or I would have wrote that one down. And uh, also a Count Dooku line. Maybe this is connected to, no, because you said yours is from the beginning. This is at the end of the episode. Count Dooku says, without the backing of my focus or your people, uh, your revolution will be over before it begins. A neophyte such as you wouldn't know these things, but I do. I have other ways to accomplish our goal. It's just very ominous and villainous. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good line. Definitely yeah. a good line. But that's and, all I got to <laughs> Yeah, Previsla is quite the the hot headed warmonger. Yeah, what a piece of work. Uh, yeah, you want to do uh, a couple of uh, trivia? Sure. So you already said my Padawan question, which is, what is the name of Palpatine's blue associate who undermines Satine? It's Masameda. Bonus question: What is his species? Uh, he's a Shagrian. Correct. Um, you gave both of you already got both of my Padawan, which was um. Or, okay, what was Jarek's title? Um, I do know it. I'm not going to come up with it, but it was, I don't know. pretty generic one. Yeah, it was. I remember that, but I, I tried to make a mental note of it, and now it's gone. Deputy Minister Jarek. Minister. I was looking for the word minister. I knew it was in there somewhere. Uh, where and how does Palpatine say Jarek perished this morning? Uh, Death Watch killed him on Calvella. Correct. In a, in a bombing? That's right. Death Watch bombing on Calvella. Yep. Cool. Yeah, that's where we uh, said Satine was from last time. Gotcha. Okay. Um, where did uh, where did Satine's contact find the full recording of Jarek? 
I don't know. In the evidence facility at the ministry. Okay. Buried deep in the evidence facility. Uh, master question. What was the name of Satine's pilot who died in the navigation sabotage? Aramis. Is that a character? Uh, no, I, or I, I don't think so. But that is, I think, a name of one of the three musketeers. So yeah. it stood out to me. Athos, Porthos, and Aramis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where did uh, Satine's contact get shot? Uh, in the shoulder? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. That's a really good answer. I, I don't know. I, I meant where on the streets of Coruscant. I couldn't tell you. Sector GL5. Okay. All Is right. It? There was another uh, There was another sector name checked at one point and i don't remember when or why but it was ig44 and i only rem remember that because that's a strange choice of of sector name considering there are other igs in star wars that mean something entirely different and i remember 44 because it's half of 88 uh yeah it is uh, interesting that they do that with the kind of the alphanumeric style it is also extremely star wars to reuse numbers though i guess yeah they use reuse numbers constantly um, three, two, and seven being the probably the probably the most frequent reusage of numbers in Star Wars. I thought it was a funny moment when the clone troopers are looking for Satine and they like have her picture and they're talking to an alien and they clearly they realize very quickly that this alien doesn't understand them and they just kind of give up. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's a funny moment. Do you know what kind of species that guy is? Don't have a meltdown. I don't. He's an Ithorian. Ithorian. Okay. See, that's great. Good. These are all of the observations observations I made about this episode. There wasn't that much to see. Uh, frankly, I found it a little boring at times, but visually, mm. I thought it was really cool because it really felt more than any other episode I've seen so far, really felt like it belonged in the universe of the Star Wars prequels. Yeah, I thought it was a good episode. I definitely felt like it would have served itself um, with the next episodes coming up sooner. Um, so yeah. like, I, I it, it, it's pretty drawn out. I think this episode, and, and I would be interested to see if you watch them in chronological order, if it's a little bit tighter of a time window before we come back to Mandalore, but I don't think it's as tight as it should be. Cause this is a, a, a rather open-ended spot to, to kind of leave things. And I remember when watching Clone Wars, uh, through the first time there was, it was easy to forget kind of where certain plots left off and especially made it confusing when it, things were out of order, which they were. I didn't watch it in chronological order. I've not, I've yet to watch it uh, start to finish in chronological order. I've watched, I, mean, uh, I, I started and, and I've, I've watched all of it over and over again, but I usually just go back and watch the, the key arcs that I like. But I mean, that's uh, cool. That's a, that's a neat way this show is set up narratively that most shows don't uh, like i love that it's broken up into these little mini runs that feature different people in different storylines and they just like they sideline characters for long periods of time it's it's very comic booky in that way and i i think it's a neat place to to play with that kind of narr narrative uh, uh uh style and organization i think they're going to do that a ton with the Bad Batch, I think with characters like Fennec Shand being in there, likely large Rex storylines, I can't imagine that not being, I would imagine a Boba Fett storyline, uh, especially uh, kind of complimenting all the other Boba craziness. So 
Um, actually, we, do you want to kind of transition to that? Do you have anything else to talk about this this past episode? No, the only thing I wanted to say is that you can see in the background a blue protocol droid at one point, and I thought he looked pretty cool. I was actually, I looked him up. I, I, I He looked purple to me, so that's where I, I couldn't, I, I didn't find anything about said character. I, when I Googled him, I found his picture, but I couldn't find out what his name was, the way that they're uh, named in the in the movies. Cool, though. Yeah, that's all uh, I got. That's all I got. Yeah, so I guess on that Boba Fett note, uh, I did see a little interview with uh, Tamara Morrison and uh, further evidence that he might be one of the cool. He, he might be the coolest human on Earth, uh, or even in the galaxy for that matter. <laughs> uh, but he was just being goofy and talking about uh, uh, being in Hollywood, working in Hollywood, um, and a bit about the book of Boba Fett. Not much, uh, but he kept referring to it as a movie as well. <laughs> Uh, hmm. So that further cements to me that it is four episodes um, or maybe six, but it is not going to be over two and a half hours of content. It's going to be short and and, and tight because uh, he called it a movie like six times. Is it out of the question <laughs> that it's going to be a made for Disney Plus movie? Is that impossible? No, I guess you're right. Um, that's a very good point. Maybe it maybe it will be a movie um that could be yeah. fun that could be really exciting yeah it could be i think i'd rather uh a mini series just i'd rather have it over a month's period of time to get the a little bit of enjoyment and have a couple cliffhangers in there maybe but uh yeah i mean i'd be okay with movie as well um but he definitely it, it feels like that's the way that they're filming it um, and so my guess is robert rodriguez is the only director i don't think we've had confirmation that he is the director we have confirmation he's producing so my guess is he's directing as well and he's doing yeah. the whole thing if it's that tight it might as well be one singular vision yeah that makes the most sense especially with favreau and filoni also taking part in said vision yeah um and also with robert rodriguez they've been practicing guitar together a little bit uh and they've formed a kind of a mini band and they're boba fret and the strum troopers cute i love yeah. it and uh, so then he panned <laughs> down to the interviewer and showed them his T-shirt. And it had uh, actually my T-shirt's got some some Grogu. Nice. Um, but yeah, he, his T-shirt was a Boba Fret and the Strum Troopers T-shirt. So that That's was hilarious. amazing. I love that. Um, as also in kind of Disney Plus news, uh, Ahsoka. So uh, Mina Masood, who played uh, Aladdin in the recent kind of live action Disney uh, version of, of, of Aladdin, uh, is the heavily rumored favorite to be playing Ezra in the Ahsoka show. And this makes a ton of sense. He's 29. He's, uh, he's Egyptian Canadian. Uh, he played the most famous, you know, street rat of, uh, movies. And now we have the street rat of the galaxy far, far away. So, uh, it just makes too much sense. Uh, he was one that I've mentioned before and a lot of people have as well. So uh, if that's the case, that seems like a, a really good fit and yeah, I'd, be, uh, I'd be game for it. You were on this several months ago and uh, I mean, I've only seen him in one thing and it was Aladdin and I thought that movie was okay, but I thought he was fine. And, and so this is cool. Yeah, character needs to be charming. Uh, character needs to have an ability to work with animals. Uh, the character needs to uh, have a young uh, liveliness and needs to be about the same age as Luke Skywalker would be at this specific point in time. Uh, everything lines up. Uh, I think he could be a, a really good fit. Uh, and uh, it's also further 
if that's the case, it's further evidence that we'll be seeing the live action Thrawn. And if uh, that is also the case, then further proves said rumors before of uh, Lars Mikkelsen being in there. Um, right. More so always makes me happy when that is a little bit more likely. Also in Disney Plus news, uh, just kind of an interview, uh, Ronald D. Moore, who uh, I don't know a whole lot about. I recognize the name, though, and I looked in and makes this a lot of sense as to why. Uh, he worked on Star Trek uh, The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Battlestar Galactica, Outlander, and For All Mankind. Wow. So he is the sci-fi guru of television no kidding <laughs> and in particular he also was part of george lucas's abc uh attempted uh go at star wars television uh and so he was oh, part yeah. of that project and so he recently signed a deal with disney and he was speaking with uh, collider and uh, was telling them how he would love to get another crack at doing star wars television great and he said it was one of the greatest didn't uh, one of the coolest experiences of his life, getting to write lines of dialogue for Darth Vader. And uh, so there was, I think, 44 scripts of that show, and he was a big part of it. And so he's now in the Disney fold. They've been giving a lot of these deals to creators like this. And so uh, he, he said that it seems very full right now, but I, I think having someone like him interested and already part of Disney perfect yeah you, you, you do some grooming with them you know you don't need to do grooming with them he was groomed by lucas never mind <laughs> he can just plop right in which is almost impossible but isn't it crazy to imagine that there are 44 scripts of like something that was at the time deemed canonical star wars and like it's just out there presumably with a lot of richness and maybe some woe factor and it's just like it it, it has to be modified but there's probably some gold in there yeah, I think there is. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's Elizabeth Olsen that's in the the test footage and nice. as the main character, and so cool. that's even more relevant now than yeah. ever. No kidding. And uh, yeah, I, I think it would have been very cool. I think time goes to show, like, because in the shots it, it looks a little janky, and it would have been the landslide, not even close, above and beyond uh, earth-shattering records, most expensive television production ever. So it wasn't wasn't going to happen. Um, but it uh, it does go to show that uh, someone like him could maybe revitalize some of those ideas. It wouldn't shock me if Dave Filoni has revitalized some of those ideas already. But uh, anybody who worked with Lucas uh, and has some experience like that, that's that's encouraging and exciting and, and hopefully will one day happen. And I know he's got a lot of other fans and Battlestar with people like Katie Sackhoff in the fold. It's just it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that sounds great. Cool. Uh, also, uh, Tom Holland uh, came out and mentioned that he had auditioned and made uh, it reasonably far in the audition process for Finn. Uh, it was likely called Sam at the time. Uh, and based on some of the early character sketches, it kind of works um, for what uh, they were going for. Uh, but apparently he lost his composure during uh, a scene, a prep scene when someone was doing uh, droid beeps going like beep, boop, beep, boop, and doing like little like droid noises and he he kept breaking and he, he said it was one of the most embarrassing audition uh days for him ever <laughs> i mean i guess i guess because he wasn't proven as a movie star like he's that dude is a movie star he's with us for the long oh, yeah. haul um and he would be great in star wars too uh and i was gonna say he's gonna be in dune but that's not right that's chalamet anyway yeah um he, he has now made a movie with with daisy ridley and so i guess the two of them We'll see if they have chemistry, but it's it's weird because it doesn't feel like he's in the same generation as John Boyega to me. It feels like he'd be too young to play a Finn type. 
John Boyega is young. Um, I know, but he's se- he seems more, and, and he's oh, he's mature. Well, he but he's also quite boyish in the Force Awakens in a way that really benefits the character. Whereas uh, Tom Holland is boyish in in a way that benefits Peter Parker. I, I, it just would not be the same with him in Star no. Wars. No, it it definitely wouldn't. And John Boyega was the right call. Uh, but in, during filming, he would have been around twenty one. John yeah. Boyega, and so. Yeah, I think that's about right. But but Tom Holland probably would have been what, like seventeen. Um, I mean, it doesn't matter. But uh, he, he yeah, George. Uh, well, he is. Uh, yeah, he would have been seventeen. Yeah, You're right. Okay. I mean, that would have been fine. That could that would have been doable. It just would be different. Yeah, I mean, I George Lucas certainly wanted uh, more teenagers in in this uh, this series or this uh, trilogy. Do you want to see? Have we talked about that before? Would you want to see Tom Holland in Star Wars? Uh, I would be okay with it. Uh, it's a little tough because he's so Peter Parker, and he's. Uh, I know he has the capability of doing so much more, but in kind of nerddom. Uh, so maybe in it, it may it may take a while. He's such a talented actor that I, I agree with you. He'll be around for the long haul. So will Star Wars. So maybe I maybe it needs to be a. a 10 or 15 years from now when he's a little bit older, maybe then it would work a little bit better. Speaking of the MCU, you know who I want to see in Star Wars because she's crushing it in WandaVision is Kat Dennings. She's just got this yeah. hilarious wryness, this uh, IDGAF to her that mm. she, it would be perfect in Star Wars. No, that's good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, I, as long as it's not uh, anything like the one joke every three seconds of two broke girls, uh, I, then it's okay. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't hold that ne- network sitcom against her. It just got her rich. That's all. No, yeah. I mean, hey, good for her in that yeah, regard. that's right. Uh, I mentioned before, yeah, Queen's Peril will be the final book of uh, that trilogy of Padme books. Uh, and this one will be told uh, during a, a similar time to Revenge of the Sith, the end of the Clone Wars. Okay. And so that'll be a really great time to potentially when she finds out she's pregnant, uh, and while she's in her relationship with Anakin, uh, as opposed to just meeting Anakin. So the first book was when she was just becoming queen. The second book was when uh, it takes place right before Phantom Menace into the start of the Phantom Menace through the end of the Phantom Menace. Uh, and so it's uh, it's a really cool kind of retelling of that from her perspective. And so this one uh, being of a different time period as well, I'm excited to read this. Yeah. Uh, they also have a Secrets of the Sith book. There was a Secrets of the Jedi book a little while back, which was Luke's perspective and on readings of other Jedi and kind of what he knew. And you learned about uh, him communing a little bit with Anakin. Uh, it wasn't, uh, there's not a ton of content in the book. They're just, uh, they're kind of just nice coffee table books a little bit. Uh, but this one's Secrets of the Sith. And so it's told from Insidious's perspective. So it would not surprise me if there was some really good little lore nuggets about uh Dark science, secrets only the Sith knew, cloning and all that crap. And right. so um, it would make a lot of sense to have it in there. But other than that, that's uh, all there is in the news. Uh, any uh, birthdays or any news you come across? A couple of big birthdays. Uh, on Monday, March 1st, they share a birthday. Lupita Nyong'o, happy birthday. And also to Ron Howard. Oh, nice. Cool. A couple of, couple of good ones there. What do you want to do? Definitely uh, want Maz back. Definitely want Maz back yeah, in Star she, Wars. We haven't talked a lot about that because obviously the big the big disservice done in, in the consecutive movies uh, is Finn, but it, it does seem like mm. she got sidelined in a way that didn't need to be either. She was brought in to be the new Yoda, which is probably like, that's a little big for her britches, but she could have been pretty fascinating. And so I'd like to see more. 
Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, big for britches, but was a total waste of space in Rise of Skywalker, just kind of hanging around yeah. and being like the translator for, you know, Leia can't say this line because the actress is unfortunately no longer with us. So I will say it as your conduit. But she was awesome in The Force Awakens and she knew so much. And right. it would have made sense for her to know a lot about Luke and to be able to be telling Ray more about that and to help her on her force journey more than she did. But. Do a young Laura Santeca show and put Maz Kanata in it. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. There uh, is uh, some interesting tidbits about the Santecas in the High Republic era. So uh, as I learn more, uh, I can share uh, some of that, uh, some of those juicy reveals with you as well, too. Uh, just spitballing, but what do you want to do on the podcast coming up? Uh, do you want to do uh, kind of some more top six and sixes? Do you want to do a deep dive? Do you want to do uh, kind of our favorite things about Revenge of the Sith? Uh, what was it? Uh, what it, interest it you? It could be just about time to do favorite things about Revenge of the Sith. That could be a good uh, top six I episode. I watched it over the weekend. So uh, I actually already did my list for that one Great. because I knew it would be coming around the corner. So it's I'm fresh. already prepped and ready to go. So we'll have that coming up. I would like to do some like specific topical uh, deep dives coming up as well. Maybe veer off format here and there. But uh, yeah, uh, that's what's coming up in the podcast. We had a nice little tight one tonight. Wow. Yeah, it's uh, certainly one of the, the shorter ones. But I kind of felt that as I was watching the episode of Clone Wars, it, it was... Uh, it's not one that you can talk about a whole lot. No. It's uh, one that is best enjoyed and uh, kind of just compared to uh, other parts of Star Wars and uh, other pieces of film that have inspired Star Wars. It's, it's a really good example of one that if it was done in The Mandalorian, everyone would talk about uh, all of the key uh, old school films that I'm too much of a of a film uh, moron to know about that <laughs> i was gonna say uh, novice <laughs> no okay thank you novice uh sure that i don't know about that are kind of direct nods that are being used in this episode because i'm sure there were quite a few yeah it was good it was a lot of fun um okay well as always if you want to contact us based on uh anything about this podcast or any other or any star wars thoughts you might have in general you can always tweet at recorder 66 or email recorder 66 podcast at gmail.com we are available on all major podcast platforms uh so rate and review on whichever is your preferred app uh we're also on youtube recorder 66 and as they always say over there if you could like and subscribe that's how other people can join our tiny very very exclusive little community <laughs> we would love to grow that because obviously yeah. star wars fans are freaking everywhere and we would love yeah, to have rate and review that that makes a big difference and more people will find us maybe and that'd be uh, kind of cool if you want to be on the same page as us by the next podcast maybe come up with some things that you like especially about star wars episode three revenge of the sith come up with a top six list if you like if you if you send it into us before we record we'll We'll share it on the episode. Uh, and until we are together again, may the force be with you.